My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks, a show where we talk about thriving at work and in life, no matter if it's our second, third, or fourth act. This program is brought to you by Briefing Notes, a weekly digital newsletter for Gen Xers and late Boomers about working well and living well in our midlife. Check it out and subscribe at thebriefingnotes.com. One of the things I love about hosting a podcast is that I get to meet new people and I get to interview my role models, people whose body of work I admire. On this podcast, I have often mentioned Joanna Penn, who is one of my role models. And I remember the very first time I interviewed her here, it was 45 minutes of fangirl moment and me gushing the entire time. Today's interview is no different because my guest, Bonnie Gillespie, is someone I absolutely look up to. Her career accomplishments, which I'll talk about in a minute when I introduce her properly, are plenty for me to be envious about, even though we are not in the same industry. But what I really admire about Bonnie is her attitude about work and life, her work ethic, and the way that she shows up in the world. We covered many things in this interview. Two things that I really appreciated were one, the bits about rejection, which is my personal life's work, and two, the bits about enoughness, which is, in a way, also related to rejection. Bonnie and I also talked about how she maintains positivity, how she uses compartmentalization, focusing on the right results when measuring success, and the importance of celebrating every step of the way. One bit of reminder before I introduce Bonnie, as is true for all of Season 5, this conversation was recorded earlier in the year, before we were aware of the pandemic. As such, you won't hear any reference to it or the disruption that has happened since then. One of the books that I devoured cover to cover was written by my guest today. Funnily enough, it is also the book that I would have never thought I would ever have the need to read. It's called Self-Management for Actors. I'm not an actor and had never dreamt of being one. And yet this book is one of the best books I have ever read about managing ourselves and our careers. After reading that book, I wanted to know all about the author. And fortunately for us, we now live in a world where we can follow the people we admire the most and learn from them from afar. Bonnie Gillespie has been working in the film industry for decades, both in front of the camera earlier on in her career and then later as a casting director. In addition, she's been helping fellow actors by demystifying the casting process and illuminating the business side of pursuing a creative career. She writes, coaches, and teaches on enoughness and cultivating an empowering mindset for our chosen journey. Bonnie has been featured on Good Morning America, BBC, Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, amongst others. For me, Bonnie is the epitome of a woman who is comfortable in her own skin, someone who continuously stretches herself and graciously shares her journey. I definitely consider her one of my role models, and I'm beyond thrilled she was game to come to the show. Bonnie Gillespie, welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Lou, it's an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for those sweet words. How wonderful. It's an honor to be here. So I wanted to start a conversation right in the middle of things because, of course, I'm looking at you now. You're successful. You're enjoying your work. And there's a danger there for me to forget that whatever it is I'm seeing now is a result of hard work. So I was wondering if you would mind sharing with us one or two habits that you had to cultivate uh, that contributed the most to your career success. For sure, the the first one that I, I don't even think I realized was a, a, a real habit. It felt like it was a problem. It felt like it was something that was wrong with the way I was wired. And then over time, I realized it's a superpower that I had it. Um, is that I have this ability to compartmentalize. I am really great at silo work. If it is time to do social networking, that is all I'm doing. If it is time to be present in a meeting, that is all I'm doing. I'm fully present for exactly what it is that I'm meant to do at that moment, which also means I can wear many hats. And when I was a struggling actor and had to have a bunch of different survival jobs, it allowed me to go seamlessly from one job to another job to another job and always be able to leave whatever the other thing was back there and never keep an open ticket for things that were going on because that uses up a lot of brain space. I realize now looking at it, I'm like, oh, that compartmentalization is actually a, a superpower for being able to get so much done because I'm just so fully present for whatever I'm working on. Um, when I think of uh, another, it would probably be, I know how to turn weaknesses into strengths. Here's what I mean by that. I have, I, I'm obsessive compulsive disorder diagnosed long ago as a, as a teenager and probably much younger than that it started, but it wasn't actually identified until my teens. And one of the things that was always and continues to be an issue for me is if anything is measured in numbers, I have to get the number to a five or a zero, or I don't know what the, what, what the world dies if I don't like, it's, it's just, thing. So what I'm able to do is say, okay, then if I want to clean things out of my inbox, I have to get my inbox down to either a number that ends in five or zero before I'm finished. And so that allows me to knock out more emails than I normally would. And I don't actually have that, that issue with inbox numbers. Like the inbox number can be sloppy. I don't care. But because I know that that's an issue for me with things like volume, if I'm turning volume up or down, it's got to be a five, it's got to be a zero. I go, well, let me use that tendency that I have in another place to help me get a number down that I want to in my inbox. And I'm like, I've learned how to turn a weakness into a strength. I'm curious about the fact that you're the one that you said before, which is that you're able to really focus and be present. And of course, I know that you meditate. Is this because of your meditation practice or this has always been even before you were meditating that you were always able to compartmentalize and focus? To be honest, I believe this is a survival tactic from early childhood traumas, that this a way that I could allow my brain to disconnect from mm -hmm bad things that were happening and only be right there and not have that thing then affect the rest of my life too greatly. So it, it's a survival mechanism, I believe. Um, but it is definitely something that I cultivated more in the positive, the older that I got. And it allowed me to be, stay friends with someone after there was a fight because I could say, well, that fight was an isolated thing. It has nothing to do with who we are in the big picture. And there are people say, how could you ever forgive 
that thing that happened. I said, well, that thing was over here in this silo and it's not over here in our current relationship. So why let it come over here unless I invite it? Bonnie said that she started out as a struggling artist and she used the phrase survival jobs. Now, if you're in the film industry, you're probably very familiar with the phrase and know exactly what it means. For the rest of us, I asked Bonnie to expand a bit more about that earlier part of her career. Bonnie moved to LA to do the acting thing. Twice, actually. The first time, right after college, for a few years until the Northridge earthquake, at which point she returned back east to Georgia and did her graduate studies in journalism. But when she hit age 28, she had her quarter-life crisis, as she calls it. I went... I'm going to wake up 40 wondering what if, if I don't try this acting thing one more time. Um, I dropped out on my PhD program, moved back across the country, sold everything I owned on eBay. Um, it just, it was a, a real pride moment for my family that here I am like almost a doctor and I'm like, nah, never mind. Um, I, so I said, I have to give acting one more shot or I'm, I'm not living my life and I need to do that. And when I got back out here the second time and said, I'm going to do the acting thing and I'm really going to put my everything into it. I'm not going to take a survival job that turns out to be golden handcuffs uh, which is, you know, they pay really great wages and wonderful benefits and they tell you they'll be flexible, but you lose your hustle as an as an artist. Um, that had happened to me when I was out here in my early 20s. So this time in my late 20s, I was like, nope, I'm going to take a bunch of different jobs that I don't care about, that all are disposable so that if any one of them is disrupted because I get a booking as an actor, no problem. There are nine other jobs I have if, if you know, if this one goes away. Um, and one of the survival jobs took off. I was a floater temp at a publication that's called Backstage, which used to be a physical paper. Uh, I think now it's only digital, but this is uh, the the actor's trade paper. And so I, it was a great floater temp job because I got to sit at a desk and answer some phones and a little data entry here and there. It just, if somebody was, was out that day, they would call like a substitute teaching gig and say, are you available? Can you come in? Sure, make a few bucks and leave. One of the desks I was covering, uh, the editor came over at one point and said, the person who usually sits here writes, can you write? And I said, I try, I'm an actress, so I, I can try. And I did not want them to know that I had not one, but two journalism degrees from the Institute of the Peabody Awards. It's like the last thing you want a paper to know is that not only can you write, but you can write. Uh, so I wrote up the little blurb and fact checked it and he came over right after with a printout of it. And he said, this is perfect. Who are you? What's, what's your background? And so the truth came out of who I am and what my background is. And he said, uh, do you want a job? And I said, oh, God, no. <laughs> No, 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 no. I have avoided any kind of real job for the past few years that I've been in grad school. I'm certainly not looking to get one now. And he said, well, how about a job that looks more like this? And I said, no, no, no. And he, he's just like, well, do I need to call your mother? Like, I, I don't understand this. Like, I'm offering you money and benefits. And I'm like, no, no insurance. You take that fancy stuff away. Uh, he finally said, how about something freelance where you go interview casting directors? And I said, ooh, say more about this, because getting me an actress in front of casting directors under the guise of journalism, I'm like, this sounds brilliant. Uh, and so that evolved into a passion for me that I didn't know I had. And it, it was just, here I was, an actor going in to meet with these casting directors about how they do their job. 
and getting all this information and then getting paid to put it out in front of tens of thousands of readers every week. And I realized I'm becoming successful as a writer and people are writing into my column every week and asking me to go find out more things. And well, what are the rules? And I kept saying, gosh, the actors are interesting critters. We choose a, a job with no rules and then we want to know the rules. Uh, I get that. We don't want to color outside the lines unless we know where the lines are. So it makes sense. But I, I found I really like getting paid regularly for my words just as much as I liked the few times that I got paid to be an actor. I'm going to give up the struggle of auditioning. I'm going to give up the struggle of trying to get acting roles. And if one comes along, I'll take it. But I'm going to lean into this writing thing because it feels like maybe this is what I was meant to do here uh, is demystify this process that back in the late 90s was a complete secret. Actors had no idea what was going on in casting offices until they got in. So that, that's how it began. Of the people I interviewed for the series, it was Bonnie's reaction to the common advice, follow your passion, do what you love, that I really wanted to hear. One might say Bonnie followed her passion, acting, and that led her to discover another passion, writing, which led her to the career that she enjoys now, which clearly she's very passionate about, but it wasn't her original one. So I asked her how she felt about this very common advice. I. I don't hate the advice because I think it gets you in the ballpark. I think find, following your passion, discovering what it is that lights you up. Uh, you know, these are these are wonderful goals because it means that you are going to be more aligned with what it is that you do every day. But even in following your passion, there are going to be some days that are just hard. There, there's going to be work. Like it's, it's not rainbow pooping unicorns every minute of every day. Your passion can also involve a lot of struggle and a lot of stress. Um, what feels kinder to me is do the things that feel good in the micro and for the macro of what you kind of want your life's work to be, but don't be so married to it that you aren't open to the shifts and changes that can come about. Because I see a lot of people get into the whole, well, I declared my passion kind of like I declared a major and I have to stick with that. And it's like part of life is being nimble for the changes that come around. And there, you know, as technology changes and as people change and the conversations change, I like being open to a, a passion that shifts. So I think something a little more fluid than, than, you know, declare it and then go toward it. And if you don't make it there, that's a problem. I, I think a, a kinder way to frame it is, is to just be open to where your life wants to take you. Have you ever encountered a situation where, you know, you're saying, this is what I want to pursue, this is important to me, and then along the way, of course, we encounter frustrations, disappointments, and then you start switching, and then you start going, wait a second, am I shifting because I'm scared, because I don't have the grit, or am I shifting because this is really where I'm supposed to go? Have you ever encountered that sort of, you're second-guessing yourself? A bunch. And I, I especially encounter that with clients, people who come to me thinking, you know, I came out here to be an actor and now I'm I'm struggling with is that who I'm supposed to be? Or I started producing because I was producing my own content because that's how I could hire myself as an actor. And now I really love producing. Have I sold out my dream? Like th that conversation happens a lot. And what I like to do with the the fear test is say, you know, the difference 
between fear and feeling unsafe. And I think that we kind of have to, to go back to my compartmentalization, we have to compartmentalize a little bit. And feeling fear is totally normal. It means we're growing. And there's nothing wrong with feeling fear. Uh, that we're going to have fear every time we encounter a, a new casting office or uh, we raise our prices. Like there, there's just all sorts of things that will give us fear showing up in a bigger way. But feeling unsafe means that there's something more at the core that needs to be dealt with before we're going to be able to move forward. And that's going to follow mm -hmm. us no matter what we shift to. So that's where I always like to go get to with my clients is because if we can really talk about that core feeling of lack of safety, of that I'm, I'm not safe if I make this move, then the question is, well, why is raising your prices making you feel unsafe? What is destabilizing about this idea? And if we work on that, then we can make all the outer changes or shift in what it is that we're meant to do in our lives and have a lot more joy doing it. Got it. So I do encounter, like even recently, I did go through that personally myself when I've decided to make a shift in my business. And it's that um, second level of questioning that I needed to go to instead of just, you know, because I was like up here and think, like thinking it out, you know what I mean? Like up here, which is sometimes it doesn't get you to the right answer when you're just staying up here. That's a lot of work I've been doing in the past couple of years has been about really studying the difference between the primal brain, you know, the amygdala and those those stress responses that we all have um, versus executive function. And I think because we are so we're so smart, we're brainy critters, we like to think all the problems. But when there's a problem that we can't think our way through, the work really is getting still and going within and saying, why does it not feel safe to grow? Why does it not feel safe to change my business model? Why does it feel safe to raise my prices? Why does it not feel safe to, to be different than what I set out to be even earlier this year? And we, we need to go to the primal brain and that's where we have fewer words. So this is how I, I really distinguish that. When we're answering the questions with a lot of words, when we're working out the problem in that, I love the visual you used of up here because that's exactly how it that chatter goes. When we're doing this, we're using the thinking brain. When we're using the feeling brain, the, it's single words, single syllables. It's it's guttural uh, utterances. It's it's very basic and primal. And that's the kind of stuff that getting still and going within can allow us to reconcile. And then we're able to go, oh, I need to settle down this part of my brain that is terrified that I'm going to die if I change my business. And how do I, how do I soothe that so that, cause there, there's no working out the problem that can happen here that's going to soothe that. So we have to take the time to do that. If we don't, it'll come bite us in the butt later for sure. <laughs> I am not kidding. When I say I've got pages and pages of highlighted paragraphs on my Kindle copy of Bonnie's book, there's one that I go back to time and time again. The importance of celebrating every step of the way, not simply to celebrate reaching the end goal, which obviously for actors, it's to land the role. Bonnie said that oftentimes just being called in or called back is something to recognize because not everyone gets that far. That advice struck a chord for me big time because I find myself often way, way too focused on the end goal, whether it's weight loss or whatever it is I'm trying to achieve. I focus on the big goal and I forget to celebrate or even notice 
those in-between milestones that happen. There's a, an Abraham Hicks line that I love that is, there's no happy ending to an unhappy journey. And I love that so much because if we're not finding joy in the everyday, it's not like suddenly we're going to reach that benchmark and go, finally, I can be happy. And if we were miserable the whole road there, there's there's not a place we get where suddenly we get to be happy because we're too practiced at being miserable. The work is to find joy in the everyday. And that means the victory is staying in it. The victory is I didn't go home. I didn't pack it in and say, this is too hard. Or I did say today is too hard. So I'm taking a break. But we took a break, not uh, had a breakdown. Or even if we did have a breakdown, we know we're doing this so we can rebuild and come back stronger. It's the Every day has a win to it. And if it's getting called in, if it's getting called back, if it's getting a pin put in you, but then it gets released because they cast somebody else, but you were down to the final two, every single bit of that has to be celebrated. And the same is true for people outside of show business. Finding the victory in the day to day is work because, I mean, we could walk outside, get hit by a bus and it's over like that. So what, why are we withholding joy? Because honestly, it's up to us to let that in sooner. Right, exactly. So how do you measure your success in life and your career these days? Did it change over the years? It's interesting because I know I know when I was an actor, I definitely was results oriented for, uh, I want to get cast in more things this year than I got cast last year. I want to get cast in higher quality projects than what I got cast in last year. I want to get paid better this year than I got paid last year. I'm always, ha have always been good at measuring against past me as opposed to measuring to outsiders because different lives, different experiences. It's, you can't compare, but a lot of people do. And I have been very good about always just comparing to where was I last year and have I made progress from that point? So that part in me has not changed, but I definitely now, um, set goals that are external, that are like financial or, um, in terms of the reach of my business, or right now I'm working on my first book that is not intended for, the entertainment industry. I mean, certainly anyone in the entertainment industry is welcome to buy my next book. It's just, I'm not writing a book for actors for the first time ever. I know Lou, you're a big part of that because you continue to tell me that the book is for everyone. And I know it is, but my niche has always been actors. So I'm like, Shh, don't tell anybody it's got to stay an actor book. Cause that's what I do. I'm now expanding beyond that. I have goals for going through a, a, a particular publishing house. Like, I mean, I have some benchmark goals like that, but I also measure success in, can I put my head on my pillow at night and have a good night's sleep knowing that I did good work? Uh, that I showed up fully, that everyone that I encountered today got the best of me and they really did get to experience all the gifts that are flowing through me always so that they could go be their best, which means that there are ripple effects to the work that we do. And those are things that can't be measured on you know, a bank account or a spreadsheet or even a publishing deal. So I have those goals set up, but I don't let reaching or falling short of those change whether or not a day-to-day -day was a successful experience. And that's sort of that micro versus macro. Uh, really good at navigating both of those simultaneously, which I think you have to be as a business owner. Yeah. And actually, just 
like I said, even if it has nothing to do with my business, just with the goals that I set for myself, if I'm just always looking at the big and thing and I'm not appreciating the steps along the way, then it, I'm not enjoying it. Well, let, let's take the the weight loss goal because that's a perfect example because that's relatable. A lot of people, have done. I mean, certainly I lost 60 pounds in, uh, in like six months. Uh, when I did Whole30 and then stopped drinking and I found that, oh, wow, my body is responding so well to the way I'm treating it. And who knew that I had been poisoning it by the things that I was choosing to put into it. And once I learned what my body treated as poison and I, I could avoid it, I went, oh, I'll stop doing these things to my body and I'll be my my friend to my body. How about that? So I, I get it. But I didn't set out with, I want to lose X pounds. I started out with, I want to have a better relationship with my body. I want us to be on the same side. I want to be no fight here. I want there to be nothing but an alliance and strength and intuitive hits for this is what would bring me joy right now. And sometimes that is a donut. And so what would bring me again micro and macro what how much do i need to change in the micro to have the healthier overall i remember when you first announced that you were going to expand your brand and now you're doing it and it's almost like well you know she can do it like because she's her right and there is a danger for me because i do tend to think that way about the people who I admire and so i was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a time, it could be recent, it could be a long time ago, where you felt like, in spite of the fact that I'm putting my heart and soul into something, it's not working out the way that I wanted it to work out. And how did you get past that? How did you get past the disappointment or the frustration? Like, how did you work through it, even though you're you're working on it, and it's just not giving you what you wanted? Or working out the way you wanted it to be. I'm, I'm laughing as you're even formulating the question because I immediately flashed on this moment when I, I my 20th birthday. So I, I was a kid actor and I was pretty successful. And I had a dream that by the time I was 20, I would be so famous that my birthday would be announced on Entertainment Tonight, which a, a late, I mean, a, an evening talk show that they did five nights a week, and Mary Hart was the host, and Mary Hart lists off the famous people's birthdays every day, and I knew that by my twentieth birthday, my birthday would be announced uh, by Mary Hart on Entertainment Tonight, and on my twentieth birthday, I woke up crying because I knew I didn't make that happen, and I, I, I'm laughing as I look back on that image of me sitting on the floor of my friend's apartment crying because I knew I wasn't going to have my birthday announced there and going, how did you have so much wrapped up in this is what my life is going to be like by the time I'm 20? And it was a goal that I created probably when I was six, seven, eight years old. And and so I, I remember that so acutely that I think since then, I don't tie so much up to those those goals that are outside of my control. And I think that that's one of the big differences in in how we can reframe our own pursuits, because I have people I admire that I look at and go, oh, how are they able to do that? And so, I mean, everybody does. Even, and they have people that they do that with. So it, it, it happens all the way through. There are people who look to you and say, how does Lou do what she does? So like we, we all have it. And so to know that a lot of that comes from start to look at things that are within your control 
and say, well, if I can move those forward, then I know that I'm achieving things. But if I only focus on the things that are completely outside my control, A, I'm giving away a lot of power and B, I'm guaranteeing that there's going to be a moment when it didn't happen the way I thought it should or on the timeline that I thought it should. And I'm going to feel like crap about that. So how do we how do we fix it so that that doesn't actually have to happen to us? How do we how do we make it so that we don't have to go through that? And the way to say, well, what are the things that I can control? I can control my point of readiness so that I am all the things are in place for me to get a major publishing house taking on my book. But ultimately, if no one bites, we'll self-publish because we've done that before. We know how. That doesn't mean the book is a failure. It means I fell short of getting what I wanted. But think of how that point of readiness that I will have gotten all my materials just to go through a process that I've never gone through before, which is pitching to major publishing houses and getting an agent and having an editor and these experiences I've never had. And I'm so looking forward to what I will learn about my process, having those outside goals, but not making those outside goals the thing that measures success or failure. I think that's the big trick for me. Obviously, you must be seeing massive changes in what's going on in your industry, right? In, in the film industry, in the profession even, what people are, how people are expecting to behave, to work, you know, all that kinds of stuff. Lots of changes going on in the world. And I was wondering, how do you stay on top of the changes that are going on? And also, how do you stay positive? Gosh, you know, stay, staying positive, I, I want to say, I started to say it's easy, but it's, it, here's, the, here's the reason it's easy. It, it is a muscle. And just like any muscle, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. So mm-hmm. I stay positive the same way I, I have good teeth. I brush my teeth every day. I remind myself every day. I have choices and choices have consequences and I'm going to choose joy more often. I'm going to choose kindness more often. I'm going to choose to believe in the good in people more often, even as evidence is around of less than, less than that. I go, I I don't serve the world by getting uh, bogged down in the pain or the the stress or the struggle. Um, what I was actually talking with some of my masterminders, uh, recently I have a, this mastermind that's called expansive capacity where we do a monthly topic every month is your relationship with something. So it's your relationship with time, your relationship with expectations, your relationship with your body, your relationship with money, whatever this month is your relationship with leadership. And I told a story specifically about a moment in the not so distant past where I had to, I had to work when I wanted to stay in bed. I wanted to stay in bed in the fetal position crying because I was so devastated by things that were going on in the world. And it just got hard. And it got hard in a way that was in in my skin, in my cells. And I I said, what kind of leader do I want to be? And she wrote on a tiny little post-it note and put on my laptop next to the little webcam, what kind of leader do I want to be? And I realized my work is I show up to be there for my clients who also don't want to get out of bed today, who also want to just cry and give up. And they are going to be looking to me for what, what do we do with this pain? And my work is to make sure that those artists can put that pain into their work and create change. 
show business can heal the world. We have an incredibly powerful platform and I don't take that lightly. So I know that, you know, we're not curing cancer, but maybe we're helping someone get through chemo because we are providing entertainment that they can consume that gives them a little levity at a time when they desperately need it. And we can be the voice for people who otherwise don't get to speak up or don't understand emotions fully. So I think that's a really big responsibility. And so I stay positive by reminding myself constantly, our work is important. Our work matters. Artists matter. The voice of art is a healing voice that there's a big responsibility here. And, uh, and I don't take that lightly. Um, and then how do I stay on top of the trends and aware of what changes are happening? Um, I have a very well curated social media life. I spend most of my social media life creating, not consuming. And that really does have to be the balance because if I over consume, I can get myself turned around on my mission. I can get myself in a dark place. I can get into comparisonitis. Like there's a whole bunch of not healthy things that can happen if I get into too much consumption. So I always, before I go onto social media, say creator, not consumer, creator, not consumer. And then I go in and I consume a little, but I am always creating. Um, I am very picky about who to follow because I want to make sure that I am, uh, just like I am with my body, what am I putting into it? I need to only opt into things that are healthy and life-giving and inspiring. And that doesn't mean putting my head in the sand and ignoring things. It means letting it run through a filter of, and what can we do about it? Not falling, the sky is falling. It's yes, the sky is falling. And what can we do about it? That That's it makes all the difference. I also appreciate it and I wrote it down. What kind of leader do I want to be? Because in that split second of reacting to whatever is happening, you you ask yourself, what kind of leader do I want to be? And it changes the way that you respond to whatever is going on. That, that little post-it and that moment changed a lot for me because it, it, I think a lot of people feel resistant to the the label of leadership or that you are a leader. But here's what I know. If you've chosen any kind of career that is other than working in a cubicle at a desk for someone else for 40 plus hours a week, you are a leader. You've chosen a life of leadership because you are doing something different than what most of the population chooses. So just just by virtue of the the rarity of of that happening, you are a leader. So you may not like the title very much, but that leadership position is one that you've chosen by rebelling against or choosing something different for yourself. And I think once we frame it as, okay, then what does leadership need to look like today? And what kind of leader do I want to be? Uh, it allows us to take leadership in our careers. It allows us to make changes where before we felt that we might be a little helpless. Um, and it allows us to show up in the world in the way that we want to see others showing up in the world. And, and honestly, that's about as good as it gets. <laughs> One question I asked all my guests this series, what's the trail they wanted to leave? I, I've helped generations of actors who get rejected every day for a living have a resting state of enoughness and that I'm going to be okay. Even if I don't get the part, even if I don't win the award, even if I never make it, I am enough. And I'm like, if I can do that with people who get rejected for a living, imagine what I can do with 
anyone in the rest of the world. And so I'm kind of in a process of discovery now of what my next chapter is going to be. And I'm loving it. Every day is is a, another another step on a map that I'm building as I walk along it. And, and I'm really excited because this, of course, this conversation is a part of that. I don't recall the actual moment, but I remember there was a time when I wanted to learn more about how do I... Uh, manage if that's the right word rejection right how do i how do i get my heart my head around rejection because i get so hurt by rejection and i was listening on a podcast and this guy says you know by the very nature of the work he's an actor he says by the very nature of the work that we do we elected to be in a place where we get rejected that's norm and i said you know what if there is anybody who could teach me about managing rejection actors people who are in that industry or art artists and and i don't know exactly how i heard of you and the book it probably is through what works network but then i said oh this book this book and, and that's it i bought the book and i just like cover to cover non-stop highlighted everything and read it again and i swear to god it is this idea of you are enough and Actually, if you don't mind, as maybe as my final question for you today, could you give your definition of enoughness? Because you do use that word. What is that feeling of being enough? What is enoughness all about? I, I like to say that enoughness is on a, a scale and there's you know low enoughness, high enoughness. There's low enoughness on a, on a topic. Uh, or in an area, again, there's that compartmentalization. I generally have very high resting state of enoughness, but as I expand my brand and I head into new territory, I feel, ooh, I have low enoughness where where that issue is concerned. And then I know, okay, how do I borrow from a place where I have high enoughness to build the muscle toward high enoughness in this new area? And that's where I go. It's not that I uh, lack competence, or have low self-esteem, it's that I'm just less practiced in this area. And so I start to look at, well, how do I become more practiced at succeeding in an area that I haven't gone into yet? And I just start pre-paving. I start laying the groundwork for what does that need to look like? What does future me feel about this issue that right now I have a little bit of a wobble about? Where is it that I'm feeling like some of the, the footing is a little unstable? And I say, okay, well, I've never worked with a major publisher before. What What is that going to be like? And I go, well, good news. Lots of people have worked with a major publisher before. I can study them. I can read interviews. I can start following people who are going to leave trails and clues for me or leave, leave clues and breadcrumbs down the trail for me so that I can begin to learn what that's like before I get there. And build my capacity for enoughness so that when I get there, I don't immediately bounce out, like book a meeting with someone and then freak out because I have no idea what to do when I get there. So for me, enoughness is something that we are constantly buoying in ourselves by the things that we choose to surround ourselves with and the people we choose to surround ourselves with. And most importantly, the thoughts that we choose to surround ourselves with. Because if we take a look at rejection, let's go back to the actor thing. If we take a look at rejection and say, this means I suck. This means I have no talent. This means I don't belong here. Then we're giving away a lot of power. And instead we say, 
This means like the interview that you heard, this means I'm doing my job. A part of my job includes rejection. It's right there in the job description of actor. You're going to go out for auditions and never get anywhere with jobs that you really cared about and you worked hard to prepare for and you audition many times a week. So the number of rejections is ridiculous over the career of an actor and you get practiced at not letting that rattle your resting state of enoughness. So the truth of it is, whether you see it as confidence or something that you have to kind of borrow from a different place in your life or just a state of knowing, I'm going to be okay. No matter what happens, I am enough. There's not any amount of things that I need to do to prove that I'm enough. There's not any amount of work that has to exist to prove I'm enough. There's not a certain amount of money in the bank that proves I'm enough. It's just my knowing. And then that can weather any of those things changing, which is then what makes you more attractive to have things start to work out for you in those ways that do look like outer verification. But the thing is, you don't need the the validation once once you know you're enough, you don't need the validation. Interestingly enough, that's when all the validation starts coming in. And you're like, it's fine. I don't need it. You're, you're, you're welcome here. All the money. Okay. You know? Lots of things have happened since I sat down with Bonnie in February 2020. I caught up with her recently about what she's looking forward to the most in 2021. I think it's going to be the same thing I look forward to in the start of any new year, which is what is this new year going to teach me? Um, I always show up open. I always show up eager to learn, to grow. And I think like many people, 2020 taught me that there are blind spots. There are things in my business and in my personal life that could be better. Uh, It also taught me how much is right and good and strong and surprisingly resilient Uh, And all of that was really fantastic to learn. So for me, for 2021, I I think I'm most looking forward to what it is going to teach me about who I'm meant to be in the world and what my business is meant to do in the world. Um, We're starting a couple of new businesses now, which that was not something that was happening uh, prior to all the stuff that shifted in 2020. And I'm super excited to learn what those new businesses want to teach me and to have a much shorter learning curve for uh, a lot of the lessons that our primary business had. I'm I'm glad that I have an angel investor in my main empire uh, in these new startups uh, and that that whole situation right there is just absolutely beautiful and I'm, I'm really eager to see what comes from here. The best place to find out more about Bonnie is at bonniegillespie.com. And she's quite active on social media. Just search for Bonnie Gillespie on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube and you'll find her. For all the links and highlights of this episode, head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. Second Breaks is brought to you by Briefing Notes, a weekly digital newsletter for Gen Xers, Generation Jones, late boomers, midlifers who are interested in thriving at work and in life. Visit thebriefingnotes.com to subscribe for free and get the next edition in your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Tell them about Bonnie or 
about season five or about the podcast Second Breaks. They'll thank you for it and you'll have done me a huge favor as it helps tremendously when you spread the word about the show. Okie dokie, I do hope you'll come back next week and join me for another interview with one of my role models, author Joanna Penn. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans. Bonnie, I cannot tell you, this is such a big gift for me, for the folks who are going to listen to this episode. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Absolutely, Lou. Such a pleasure. I really appreciate you. And of course, I'm so happy to join you today. Thank you.